Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, before we get to Mike Cope, let me tell you about the sponsor for this month. It is the Pepperdine Bible Lectures, May 2nd through May 5th in Malibu, California, Pepperdine Bible Lectures 2017. The topic is Spiritual Rhythms, Scrolls for Robust Salvation. Now, if you've never been to the lectures, it is a place for many to find restoration, rejuvenation, and spiritual rest. There's good classes, there's friends, there's worship, the setting, uh, oceans, and mountains, uh, which are pretty amazing. All of those together minister to the soul, allowing you to return to your life with a new hope and a new courage. Mike and I will talk about this a little bit more in the podcast, but I hope you join me this year in Malibu, California, May 2nd through May 5th. For more information, there is a link in the show notes. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. I am excited to have our friend, Mike Cope. How are you, Mike? Great, Luke. Good to talk to you again, man. Yes, Mike Cope, the only man in the world who has the opportunity to live in Midland, Texas, instead of Malibu, and chooses to live in Malibu. No, not Malibu. It goes the other way. Could live in Malibu, chooses Malibu. Yeah. I can't even say that because it doesn't make any sense. It's impossible. I have a question for you while we start. Oh, wow. You're going to go with the question. I I like this. I am, because everybody just yields to all your questions. So I heard you call call Ashley the godfather of Church of Christ ministers, so... Um, what what do I get to be? Because what I'd like to be is the is the crazy uncle. The, I wasn't going to say it, but if you're willing to take that, I'm I, good with that. I you like could the be... role. The crazy uncle's the one that might embarrass you. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to claim him, but he's the yep. face you want to see when you're in trouble. Yeah. So he's the one you call when you've messed up. Yeah, that's but right. You you never know what he's going to say when you bring him to the party. That's right. So I'll be the crazy yeah, that, uncle. Yeah, I think that. I think what would Randy Harris then be? Well, every he's just going to stay in the the role of monk. He's yeah. you know everybody has a single great uncle that uh, mm-hmm. you know that there's is. always questions. You never really know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, you just you just hmm. but you're the crazy uncle. He's just the other one. He, yeah, he's the other uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, and uh, and life in Abilene is it good? Yeah, we're still kind of between Abilene and Midland. I'm still preaching in. Uh, Midland, love our staff there, love the church. Um, Abilene's where our grandkids are, so we're mm-hmm. in Abilene quite a bit. And then um, heading tomorrow to California for about eight days. And uh, so back and forth with Pepperdine. So you're a baseball fan. You're a big baseball fan. Cardinals, that's your team, right? Uh, the Cardinals and the Rangers, yeah. And the Rangers, one in okay. Each Okay, so you kind of bounce out. So you, I think you you can go with this metaphor. But uh, R.A. Dickey, who I think has some sort of tie, like he's a Nashville guy. I think Graves knows him. Do you know who I'm talking about? The, the yeah. knuckleball pitcher? Uh, yeah. In some ways, people believe like he had this like resurgence of a career later on and kind of had like got a nice big contract and had kind of like this resurgence late. Some people say that's kind of like you. Like you, you left Highland, we thought you were retiring. You end up at another church and like you're flourishing again. Yeah. Did you learn like a new pitch? What, what uh, happened? It, I just turned 60. I don't know that Dickie's 60. <laughs> Let's see what happens there. Yeah, no, not really. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I went through a period where I just needed to pull out of ministry for a while. And uh, I'm delighted to be part of the Pepperdine team now. Um, I, I work in the church relations office, the director of ministry outreach. And um, so it's, it's just given me a time in life right now to 
uh, spend a lot of time with young ministers, with churches, uh, some being planted, some are in the, the middle years of long existence trying to think about how to move forward. And uh, I, I'm really liking that. Diane retired from school teaching, is getting to travel with me back and forth to California, so we're loving it. Yeah. Okay, speaking of Pepperdine, so you uh, you run the lectures basically, like that's you and Rick Gibson and a handful of other people. But you're like you're, you're yeah, that's part of my role as director of yeah. ministry outreach. So. so can we can we talk about something? Yeah. So, so last year, um, you had me follow NT right during the middle of the day. Okay. I did. Yeah. And there was talk of like how I do determines like what happens next. And I look at the schedule this year and I go on like at midnight, I think. <laughs> I, I You have me like the absolute last thing during the day doing live podcast. Yeah. Did you feel like after dark? Is that kind of like my... <laughs> Once the light goes, goes out and I go to bed because I go to yeah. bed about 9.15 p.m., you know. Yeah. That I've just, but it's, it's really just my absolute trust in you. Somebody's got to carry the baton <laughs> when I go to bed. I've got it from 4 a.m. on, but uh, okay. 9.15 on, it's you, man. That's, I do love, by the way, that you and I have kind of found a reciprocal relationship here. You've, you've helped me locate some people that are, yeah. that are coming to uh, Pepperdine, and, and mm-hmm. sometimes through Pepperdine, you've made some connections. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your interview with N.T. Wright last year. So yeah, wasn't that... Did, did, uh, it was it was way past your bedtime, but I feel like Tom and I developed a rapport, and he was back on a few weeks ago after his newest book, which I, I, I'd like to think that you read it already. I have um, read it, yeah. Okay, good. He uh, he actually laughed at a couple of my jokes. Oh, and good. I feel like that was a bond that happened because of the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. <laughs> well, that's good. There, there's something there. My favorite moment is when he uh, held my grandson out at the beach, and I took a picture and... Someday I'll tell the grandson, you know, this, yes. was, this was Tom Wright. The bishop was, yeah. uh, was right there. And so this year, we don't have Tom Wright coming back, but you got Pete Enns, as you mentioned before, friend of the show. Pete's yeah. coming out. Um, the year after that, some others that have been on the show. I think, has Christine Kane been on there? I'm not sure. No, she. But, we've had some other people from Hillsong, yeah, but not Scott her. McKnight is coming back, Brian Zond, and uh, so I, I know there's some. You helped me connect with Brian. I appreciate BZ. that. Yes, yeah. that'll yeah. be that's and this year you have uh, obviously like we said Pete Enns is going to be but also uh, Suzanne Stabile. Yeah, she's coming. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Next year like in 19 you've got Christine Kane coming? Uh no, two, uh, in uh, 218. 2 eight, wait, this is 17, isn't this it? This is 17. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh next year's our 75th anniversary and uh, Stay tuned for some rebranding. Several things will go on for the 75th year. But I'm glad to have Scott uh, McKnight come. Scott's just been a great guide in my life and many others. Um, Really like what Brian Zahn's doing. Christine's been a great advocate for uh, the church's outreach to those caught in sex trade and slavery and so on. Now, most people know that she's connected. She's from Down Under. She's like she's connected to Hillsong yeah. some way, and yeah. uh, I think she's a part of it. And uh, Jessica, formerly Reese, now Godot, spread a rumor in the podcast that I used to speak with an Australian accent when I was at ACU. I don't know how true that is, but if you want... <laughs> I used to I, hear you back in those days. <laughs> yeah, I could brush off my Australian accent and introduce Christine to make her feel more welcome yeah, in I'll, 2018. I'll consider that as one of many options. Okay, that's... I, I think... Good. And that's a good option. Okay, but this yeah. year, uh, Pete Enns is going to be there, and Suzanne Stabile, yeah. friend of the show, um, yeah. is she doing actual Enneagram stuff, or is it kind of like... Yeah, with Josh Graves. Okay. So yeah. three days, and she's doing a couple sessions. Yeah, with Josh. Like uh-huh. Intro. In one of the classes. We've got some... I'm really looking forward. I just read the manuscript to Don McLaughlin's new book on mm-hmm. Love First, and it, it's just phenomenal. It's needed. 
I think we've given hatred enough of a try. Doesn't seem to work very well. So uh, Don's taking us back to truly gospeled uh, love, and I, I'm looking forward to that class. But there are a lot of things. The, the big theme is uh, on the Megillah, the scrolls of the Old Testament, the five books of the Song of Songs and Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. So, so wait, since I'm doing After Dark, are you wanting me to do Song of Solomon stuff when I'm out there? Since that's part of the text, <laughs> that's not really necessary. <laughs> okay, all right. I didn't want to. I'm, I'm, ha- just... I'm, ha- I'm having the provost of the university, who's about my age. He's taking the the Song of Songs on opening night. That'll be interesting. Are you guys still friends after you asked him to do that? Or? We are. Okay. We are. It's it's been wonderful. We've been. Um, he wonders if I consider him a friend to have asked him to do that. But yeah, he also happens to be an Old Testament scholar and a great preacher. So, eh, good. he should yeah. be okay. Uh, yeah. And the last question about my session: I am allowed to just bring whoever I want and do whatever I want with that. There was kind of just like newsworthy, noiseworthy three sessions each night. You didn't tell me who I could or couldn't bring, correct? I think we made some suggestions, but I, I don't think there was an absolute, uh, okay. that's all. And it okay. works out of trust. Trust can be earned, it can be <laughs> ruined very quickly. <laughs> I'm hoping this is a long-term gig. So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, you know, uh, there's a rumor that like that eventually there will be an, an heir apparent to this great position of you live in Texas and you have an excuse to fly out to Malibu and help you know, like book the event. Uh, I'm just saying... There needs to be someone to take over in 15 years when you retire. And yeah. so I, you're I, there. I'm just saying. Well, you get an eye on my job, I get an eye on yours. I want to tell you what I want to do. What do you uh, want to do? I, 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 want to be, I want to do a, a monthly wrap-up with you and Storm at some time. Really? I mean, these two guys, they're about half my age. I listen to you guys banter, and I think, yeah, one time I want to jump in there. The downside would be I'd have to listen to a whole month podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How many do you do? I don't know. You do two a month? Or? No, I do one every week. I do you one do every a week. weekly podcast? Yes. And then, okay. wow. then so, the last day of the month, I put an extra one out there. So you have okay. to listen to like four or maybe okay. even five if it's a long month. All right. But well, you I'll, could, I'll, I'll do that just to hold my own with, with you guys. When you listen to me in Stormont, I know it's not like a competition who wins, but like who do you think you know is better? Well, it's a bit of a slap down on, on, on both sides there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you're both holding your own pretty well. Okay. Yeah. You have do the you, master mic, so. Yeah, that, that's part of it. advantage to that. How do you feel that like a lot of, just about all of those are recorded in your old office at the Highland Church of Christ? Do you feel like, like, the, like the spirit of like Lynn Anderson and you is really um, in that? Or do you feel like that's kind of like the walls are crying because they have to hear that? No, I, I think our, our spirit is in there. We're both just holding our breath for the whole time. We just, <laughs> <laughs> we just we don't even exhale for 40 minutes. And then we <laughs> exhale big like, all right, we made it through we one can more. Do, we can do we one more. We these guys through orthodoxy. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so one of the guys that we've talked about a lot on the podcast, Brian Zahn, who is coming 2018 to Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Uh, I did a podcast with him a couple months ago, along with uh, Paul Nevison, who's our friend from Down Under as well, uh, probably friends with Christine Kane, I, I would assume. Uh, but uh, we talked about the idea of construction, deconstruction, reconstruction, as that seems to be like one of the big themes that has popped up. And I think I've done like 230 podcasts. And it seems to be one of the reoccurring themes that pops up. And <laughs> I, I, did you read Brian's, uh, I think, is it Water to Wine? Disease? Yes. And yeah. like that, that's basically his story. Like he's going construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. Right. I, I'm assuming you're familiar with that sort of language. Uh, Brueggemann, I think, is order, disorder, reorder, or whatever he says. But you're familiar yeah. with that language, right? I am, yeah. And it fits my own story. 
See, I, like, I wonder about, do you think that's, how many people do you think couldn't fit their story into that, that model? Do you think that's like a pretty typical, like, this spiritual experience? I think experience? for some, that wouldn't fit them because they found a place of security and have an almost idolatrous connection to need for security and certainty. And so they don't move from that. It's almost so hmm. insecure that they need to keep hold tightly, tenaciously to the certainty. So it doesn't apply to everyone. And that's not to diminish their faith. I mean, they, they may well be people of faith living out the call of Jesus. But for me, it's been the inevitable um, journey of my life. Last night, we had, uh, we had our family over. It's our older son's 35th birthday. You guys were at ACU together. Mm-hmm. Um, and after everybody left, after I fed them and they were on their way, that the younger son, who's doing graduate work right now, stayed behind. And he asked me for a copy of the first book I wrote, which I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say it was back in the 1980s. And I sheepishly handled it to him and said, I, I want to hand this to you with a bit of embarrassment and say, you know, this, is, this marks where I was at that time. And I've been on a long journey. And so he sat down. And uh, as, I, as you know, nighttime's not my primo time to converse. But, no. but he, he walked me through just how, how did all that happen? What did you think in the 80s? What about in the 90s? And it was interesting to have my younger son, who himself got a major in, in biblical studies and now is doing a, a graduate degree in marriage and family studies. But to have him ask me, because... I'm the only preacher he ever had, you know, and yeah. at least until college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was thinking a lot about that last night, that there is this kind of journey in my life, and it can be described as a sort of deconstruction and reconstruction. And I've talked about it on the podcast. Some of it is what happened as, I, as my worldview expanded. Part of it happened uh, by reading Scripture more. Uh, part of it happened because I came under the alluring influence of N.T. Wright and yeah. Richard Hayes and others, Walter Brueggemann. But, but part of it was the losses that I've talked about on, on here before, three waves of losses. And in them, I, I wound up having to ask a lot of questions about the certainty that I'd held on to, about what is faith, what's the Bible, who is this God that we come to know in Jesus Christ. And I would just say that I'm at a very different place now than I was back then, and I trust that God has used me uh, in all of those times, though I also hope that those eight-track tapes are long destroyed. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. you don't want, even, ugh. I think of the sermons I preached like 10 years ago, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Like the- well, for me, it even started back when I was 21. I hosted a television show called What Does the Bible Say? Yeah, Bible and, Answer Man, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People could call up live, and we give answers, you know. <laughs> I bring my Greek Bible, my Greek, you know, Greek uh, dictionary. Yeah. And so uh, it's, it's a long journey from there to now, and, and not an altogether happy journey. But, but as I look back at now at the age of 60, I, I, see, I see the presence of God as he's moved me along. Yeah, so and, and one of the things that you obviously have in common with, with Brian Zahn is that it was happening in a very public way. Like your faith was, I mean, okay, you, your first job out of school, you were preaching like Carolina, North Carolina, South Carolina, yeah. right? For, mm-hmm. Did that a couple of years. And then you go to a big university church in Arkansas next, yeah. to, your, next to Harding, which is a, a, yeah. a major church of Christ university. And then yeah. you're at uh, Highland, which was two or 3,000 people. Yeah. 
so as you're working through this transformation while you're doing it on the stage, did you find yourself ever feeling like, I can't really be thinking through this stuff because I have a responsibility week in and week out to communicate a message that the message in some ways is changing over the years? I think it happened incrementally enough that, and maybe I was not self-aware enough, <laughs> that it didn't always feel that way. I did feel some kind of of pastoral care for people who maybe came to know me at one stage, not knowing that that, that I was moving in some ways. But the other thing is um, that, especially while our daughter was still alive, uh, life was so challenging and difficult, and we got so so little sleep that yeah. you know sometimes we I, we weren't even actually thinking about it that way. It just sort of happened over a period of time, and I, I was blessed with guides. Um, uh, most of them, people that I read who helped guide my thoughts, but a few yeah. close friends uh, that were conversation partners in this. And and I think for, for me, part of it was that I come from this heritage that, like many other heritages I found out later, is a back-to-the-Bible movement. Yeah. And uh, the Bible says that I believe that that settles it. And, and there was this movement in my life of coming to in, understand the Bible. And part of it was realizing the Bible itself is on a kind of journey. That the, the the Bible is has one infallible thing it's supposed to do, which is point to Jesus, and that's very different from looking at it as a bunch of dominoes lined up so that everything is saying exactly the same thing. I remember C.S. Lewis saying that Islam is a man pointing to a book. Mm-hmm. Christianity is is a book that's pointing to a man. The goal of Christianity is not to know the Bible well, yeah. though we're we're all for it. <laughs> You know, yeah. for Bible knowledge. But, but, but the end goal is to, to dwell in the life of Jesus, to know him, follow him, commit to him, trust him. Yep. And, and that's been I, the movement. You know, one of the things that was helpful for me to, to kind of get to that view is our, our friend Josh Graves, who's done a lot of work about Christianity and Islam and, and their relation with one another, him actually kind of walking me through that C.S. Lewis statement of saying, you know, the big miracle uh, for Islam is the Quran being written and Muhammad writing right. it. And that the, uh, the, the miracle of it being written in that time period and with what took place, whereas Christianity, it's the miracle is Jesus being born. And I find myself going, the way I used to view the Bible, it was very much with the same expectations that a Muslim would have towards their sacred text. I, I think the overlap is huge between the way a lot of people I know are reading the Bible. It's as if that's the goal, as if it was dictated mm-hmm. um, by God. And, and that was Muhammad's role. He was the giver of the Quran. Yeah. Uh, whereas for us, we have said that the Bible is ultimately a part of a large narrative. I mean, it, it gives this overarching narrative, but it's ultimately pointing to Jesus. That's the John 5 statement. Is Jesus saying, you think that in these words you will find life, but but these words are pointing to me, and in me you have life. So for me, it's like, uh, you know, here in Abilene, we we create beauty. We just keep talking about the sunsets, and and they are beautiful. (laughs) But I take my two granddaughters out, and I I show them the sunset. With with the one who's a kindergartner, I just tell her to look at the sunset, the sun setting. Isn't it beautiful? With the fourth grader, though, I can be a little more playful and say, you know, that sun's not really setting, is it? Because she's older and she's starting to process early science, and she can say, well, it is a beautiful sunset, but but I I am I do realize that the sun's not moving, that we are. And in my opinion, a lot of people are stuck on the kindergarten view of the Bible. It provides certainty, and if there is any idolatry in our country, 
country today. It's the idolatry of certainty. Because certainty is where I turn for relief and for security. And in that kind of in that kind of an idolatrous attachment to the Bible, um, pe- people can't move beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it happened to Galileo at one point. The Bible says the sun moves, and everybody responds like, well, then we have to believe that. And it happens today in so many ways. Mm-hmm. The Bible says there's six days of creation, and so there must be literally six days of creation. Well, I want, I want to teach my my kindergarten granddaughter, the, the Days of Creation song, because that is the beautiful telling of it. When she's older, we'll nuance that a bit. Yeah. That's a part of a larger story. It wasn't trying to give you the scientific in and out of how the God of creation chose to do that. How do you think your interaction and engagement with the Bible is different now when certainty and some of the expectations that you're, as you would use your metaphor, like the kindergarten reading of Scripture, uh, how do you engage Scripture differently now that it's not the way that you read it 30 years ago? Okay. I I was thinking, um, as I was telling Chris this story of my life last night, this theological journey, I remember back when I was in grad school, uh, we were reading 1 Corinthians 10 in, uh, in a Greek reading class, and we came on the passage where Paul says, and in one day, 23,000 fell. And somebody raised their hand and asked the professor, why does Numbers 25 say 24,000? Mm-hmm. And Paul said 23,000. What do you think Paul would say? And the professor said, I think Paul would say 23,000, 24,000. <laughs> and at the time... I just kind of logged that away, but it was an early lesson to me that, that my life was going to change because yeah. <laughs> I wanted all that to be resolved. Yeah. You know, well, it was 23,000 in one day. You know, overall, it was 24,000, but he was like, you're missing Paul's point. Yeah. And, and I often believe that about Scripture, which is that we can easily miss the larger point. Now, wrestling that view away from people is, tr- is like trying to take a gemstone from the layer of smog. I mean, you, you, know, you may I have, have no clue what that means. What's what is that? that a re- I have no clue what that means. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, in, in, in The Hobbit, there's, oh, yeah, there's I don't... smog in, in, in his cave, and somebody's going to go in, and if you take a gemstone, you've got the dragon all over you. <laughs> and, and people hold on to it uh, like that. So now at this place in my life, I, I read the Bible more than ever before. It means more than it ever has to me. Actually, Brian Zahn's helped me learn how to preach more. I, I mean, pray more from yeah. from the words of Scripture and from the creeds and from other brothers and sisters in faith. But and, uh, and you and, like it, it's meaning more now. It's not like it means less. It's that you have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel more devoted to the message of Scripture, but I'm. But I also want to have an adult conversation mm-hmm. about the Scripture. I want, I want to say that Scripture itself is on a journey toward its one infallible task, which is to point to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that if I read the Sermon on the Mount and it makes a radical call to love enemy, you can't just pull out every passage you can find in the book of Joshua and try to undo that. Mm-hmm. Because... That's to misunderstand the Bible. The Bible is on a journey itself. Uh, It's Israel, the people of God, coming through the wilderness, Mm -hmm. both literally and metaphorically, to a new place. And we've come to know that as God incarnate, God in Jesus Christ. And that's that's the beginning of the understanding of Scripture. I read 
someplace, uh, maybe Scott wrote this, but there are, there are Bible Christians and Jesus Christians. Now, both believe in the Bible and both believe in, in Jesus. But, but for a Bible-first Christian, it's the ultimate question is, what does the Bible say about this? But for others, it's like, now that I am a follower of Jesus Christ and have come to know him, uh, how am I to understand this? So Bible's a resource in there, a primary resource. But my first inclination is, what does knowing Jesus tell me about this as I face this issue or this situation? That the Bible's pointing me there. It it, it always goes to Jesus. I had this amazing opportunity on... um Tuesday this week, I was coming out of our staff meeting, <clears throat> walked, walked into our office, and uh, there was a lady who was uh, from our church, one of my friends, and she was leading a Bible study for this person who's shown up, and I've met her a couple times, and um, English isn't her first language. She moved to, to the States not, not too long ago, and she says, uh, I'm, I'm level zero when it comes to the Bible. I'm like, okay. She goes, I, I, like, I've never read the Bible before, and she, she <laughs> said, well, I understand Jesus, but what is the point of the Old Testament? And I was like, like this is like grounds like this is kindergarten level christianity and i was like this is very exciting to i got a whiteboard i did it like this amazing <laughs> yeah. timeline but like the center of the timeline is like it always has to point to jesus and right. like it's a story of god's faithfulness as revealed f- by through the jewish people but it ultimately points to like it's jesus and ev- everything is jesus sometimes we we would draw the map as though it's about like the creation of scripture like everything points back to that in the way that we right. that we used to or some of us continue to read it when when you talk about it's almost impossible to like to pry this view of the bible out of someone's hand and you use some hobbit lord of the rings reference which i've never seen the movie <laughs> and i tried the option yeah I, I have some someone from my church who gave me a stack i guess like 18 hours of of dvd footage of the lord of the rings like, you need to watch this i'm like no i have a okay. I, I have kids i can <laughs> let me finish raising yeah, daughters and that, then but, yeah. okay but like how so whatever level of impossibility that metaphor was communicating what starts to kind of unpeel that grip for you is like that comment stuck in your head and took some while for it to to bloom i guess but what are yeah. some ways that you've seen people kind of remove that sort of view out of out of their head? It, it usually is not abruptly. It's not a precipitous change. Mm-hmm. Um, I for some people, it, it, it's been as they've come to know a more narrative approach to scripture that they've read in somebody like N.T. Wright. This idea that the Bible is there in chapters, or it's a part of a big, big overarching story, and the center of the story is Jesus. But for others, it is. It's actually reading the Bible. See, I, I think you hold on to the kindergarten view of the Bible best by not reading yeah. it. <laughs> you know, just take a few little deliveries. I've had people fight with me about this who I suddenly realize have never even read. You know, they, they've never read Micah. They've never read Amos. They, they haven't read it, but they're going to fight for, for this, this view that they have positioned because, again, the idolatry behind it is, is certainty. And if I can believe that the Bible is primarily an answer book, you know, so that I've got a biblical guide to dating, a biblical guide to marriage, yeah. a biblical guide to economics, a biblical guide to, as if it was an answer book like that. Or I've got to press down hard on some kind of answers, you know, some kind of miracle that, that validates things for me. Or I find some hidden key to understanding the Bible, whether it's some dispensational understanding of Revelation or it's Ray Vanderlaan telling me he's peeked behind and is telling me something nobody's ever told me before. Mm-hmm. But all of those are creating a kind of sense of certainty that, that just re-anchors all of those, 
all of those places where I've been. But, but I think life's losses and um, careful reading of Scripture and uh, interaction with other believers who are in a different place yeah. can all move you outside of that to the grand Christian tradition, which is not ultimately a belief in the Bible, but a belief in the one to whom the Bible yeah. points. I, I think you're... You're right on, especially when you talk about the suffering of life. You mentioned the three ways of suffering yeah. in your life: uh, I, I, yeah. your daughter, your nephew, and then yeah, a car and then accident. the tragic wreck at our yeah. church. And uh-huh. It's always suffering seems to be tied to everyone's story. And our, our friend Richard Rohr says, uh, throughout all great spiritual traditions, change happens or growth happens through two things. One is the way of suffering, and the other is the way of love. Like, so, like there's something that happens in suffering that almost can't be replicated outside of pain and hurt. Why do you think that's such a major pivotal point for so many of us? Because it forces us into the deepest questions about God. Um, We're trying to locate where God is in this story. Uh, There's some quick ways out that that I don't think work. I've, I've heard, for example, you know, we... We privileged Americans whine about suffering. Nobody else in the world does. They expect it. And, you know, I've been in East Africa around a woman who lost her child to AIDS. And best I could tell, she didn't just receive it stoically as, well, in our world, people suffer. No, people who lose greatly suffer and grieve. Um, and, and you try to figure out where God is in this. And that's where I think a lot of the tension with uh, Calvinism comes mm-hmm. uh, for many of us is... It may buy you in the short term a, a way of dealing with the blow, but in the long term, you recoil by, by realizing, no, I just moved this over onto God, and now I've got to ask what kind of God he is. So for me, the questions about having a mentally disabled daughter and a daughter who dies and a son who nearly died in a wreck and, and these other things in life have, have led me back even deeper into the story of Jesus and to ask who is this God that we love? Is he good? Is he loving? Uh, has he created a world so free that sometimes stuff just happens mm-hmm. and that his place is here among us? I, I think those are the discussions that go around the shack. You know, I know a lot of people are not happy with what they perceive as heresy in the shack, but at its best, it was the story of a man talking about his own reconstruction. Uh, it, it was true of the author, and it was true of the character in there, to find out that in the great sadnesses, the, the shacks that we all have, to locate God in the midst of that and not in some separate place, not aloof, mm-hmm. but right there with us, suffering with us, because that is ultimately the nature of God, as we've learned in Jesus yeah. Christ. I had a, um, yeah. a friend of mine whose son passed away, and uh, he said, you know, when people ask me where, where was God when my son died in the car accident, I'll tell you exactly where he was. God was in the backseat holding my son and singing over him yeah. when he passed away. And uh, yeah, I feel like that's a, so much healthier way than just to, like you said, to, to push the issue down the road a little bit. It's like, putting, it's like putting your relationship with God on debt. Like, you know, right now it doesn't feel bad like you just put on the credit card, but eventually that bill is going to have to be paid. And when you say, oh, this is all, God, yeah. all part of God's plan, you have to go, God's not very good at planning things if, if this is how God plans stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that has to, to deal with it. You keep going back to the idea of certainty being like this big issue, partly because 
I think Pete Enns has forced you to promote his book, which is entitled The Sin of Certainty. And that's <laughs> and he's coming to lectures this year. He's coming to lectures because when I read his book, I aha, that's that's that overlaps my yeah, own journey. Definitely. And again, I, I don't doubt that he's forced you to say that, so he'll come to the lectures. But <laughs> okay, so we love certainty. We love like I, I want the right answer. I want the person who's going to get up and tell me how to fix the world. And if I just you know get behind this person, then they know all you know all the right things. And so it's great. That's how you you get dictators because people love someone tell them the right answer. Yeah. Again, how do we deal with that? Like, okay, so how are we dealing with the fact that I love certainty and instead, like a relationship with God forces me to move into mystery? Right. I, I think we're relocating certainty. First of all, we're admitting that if it's a capital C certainty, it could be idolatrous. It may be offering something the Bible doesn't offer to us. Uh, the Bible offers faith and trust. And by the way, I notice sometimes in my own life, those are not the same thing. They probably should be. They come from the What's same the difference? word uh, in the New Testament. Well, sometimes when I say I believe in something, I believe in parachutes and bungee cords. Uh, I absolutely believe in them. Mm-hmm. I believe they work, but I don't trust them. I have a little acrophobia, and so there's no way in the world I'm going to parachute, <laughs> and I'm not going to bungee. You know, at the top of high-rise buildings, at the observation decks, they've got yeah. guardrails. I believe yeah. in those, but I will not get near Really? Them, you know, because, yeah, well, again, I, there's a touch of acrophobia. My rule is, if God made it, I trust him. <laughs> God did not make parachutes, bungee cords, and hmm. guardrails on the top of high-rise buildings. There's a- uh, but in the New Testament, what we're trying to do, especially like John's Gospel, we're trying to shore that up to say, you know, you shouldn't just say, I believe this. When John says in chapter 20, I've written these so that you might believe, well, he's talking to Christians. He's trying to shore up their lives so that it's not just something I announce, but it's rather the very center of where my, the weight of my life is. And that is, is what the Bible's calling for. It's calling for faith. It's calling for trust more than certainty, which leaves space for doubt. And, and that way, doubt doesn't have to be the ruling factor in my life. I can just accept that it's, it's partly there. One of my favorite novels is Jaber Crow by, by Wendell Berry. And Wendell was going to be a preacher. He became a barber. But he, he got to theological school, and he just couldn't turn loose of his doubts. And he says, my professors told me to let go of my doubts. And he said, I tried, but they wouldn't let go of me. And I think that's been somewhat true of me, that there are some doubts there. But the more my life is centered on, on Jesus and my belief on Easter Sunday, uh, then, then the more these doubts just have a place around the edges and don't become, I find a space for doubting my doubts, um, for, for leaning into the trust, leaning in, into the faith. And as I, I uh, all of these other things kind of fall into place. I, I keep thinking I'm going to write a book called The ABCs of, of my journey. A being a new view of atonement, B being a new view of the Bible, and C, because yeah. ABCs, plural, plural Cs, would be a change in how I understand community and how I understand culture in light of the story of Jesus. But that's another okay, podcast. I, we need to do that podcast at some point. It sounds like a good book. Uh, yeah. Hmm. So some people would say, though, I'm certain that, that Jesus is is God, and that I'm certain that in Jesus I have redemption and grace and resurrection, and I'm certain that I have hope in that. Um, why should I get rid of that? Like, that, that, that's a healthy thing for me. 
is, is there a level of certainty that you go, I can be certain that Jesus is God and that in him that I have hope and grace and forgiveness? I, you know, I, people's journeys are altogether different, and I want to honor all of them. And I do not try to undermine anybody's certainty. What I try to do is be there, the crazy uncle, waiting for when some of the certainty comes apart. Can you still believe when there's a gap between uh, what you're experiencing, what you're thinking right now, and the certainty that maybe you formerly have? And that's where we're back to reconstruction. I think there is. And it has to do with understanding the message of Jesus, the kingdom um, message that he brings, and what, what his his life and death and resurrection and enduring presence in our lives is mm-hmm. all about. One of the things that seems to be a, a a part of like the reconstructed faith that so many have kind of gravitated towards and that I, I find myself gravitating towards is the sense that I, I don't need to correct everyone else's faith. And yeah. I remember like most distinctly probably two years ago, I was interviewing our friend Barbara Brown Taylor and she had, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> her book was um, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And so like the, kind of the foil for the kind of faith that she was describing was this solar Christianity that was always in the light. It was always bright. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I love that And imagery. so I tried right. to give her this like softball question where I said, you know, what's wrong with solar Christianity and wh- wh- why do people do this and what's, what's wrong? And it was like, a, I was, it was a very generous question. And <laughs> of course. This is Barbara Brown Taylor, you know? I'm, I like to think that we yeah. could be best friends at some point. And I say that, and she goes, yeah. no, I'll never, I, I would never want to undermine someone else's faith. I would never want to talk bad about what's working for someone else. I would only want to talk about what yeah. helps for those of us who need something different. And or, or, I think maybe it goes hand in hand with certainty, the sense that I've got, a, I've got the one certain true answer, so I need everyone else to have this exact same view as me. But you get to a point, you're like, no, I, yeah. I, I'm not going to try to, tear down what's working for you. I'm only going to help you reconstruct when your life is torn down. Exactly. That's, that's where I am. I think faith can look a lot of different ways. And uh, it, at this point in my life, um, I, I don't want people on, if this is a divide on either side of the divide, looking down the nose at the other, but I find myself on one side and I, I want to speak to those who still wonder, is there a place for yeah. me? That's good. Okay, so if someone comes to the Pepperdine Bible Lectures this May, is it May 2nd through 5th? Is that right? Tuesday through Friday? I believe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are they going to hear stuff that can help them process some of the things that we've just been discussing? Oh, yeah, it's it's a rich fest. By the way, I do have a... uh, I've got an author I want you to hook me up with. You want to tell me who it is? Or you want to wait off to... J.D. Vance, take notes. J.D. Vance, the guy that wrote Hillbilly Elegy. That's storm that's been on the... No, it, it's it's an unbelievable book. It's insightful. Uh, I'm all in. Um, I'm married to a woman whose family came from Kentucky, moved to Ohio. That's the story of this book. And I'm from the yeah. Ozarks. Uh, it, it describes so many things, but I love that he does it in a way uh, that's that's full of sympathy. It's it, he, he's not really. He says these are my people. These are people I love. These are people who have two gods, the United States of America and the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ. And he says, none of them, they don't go to church. They don't, it doesn't affect their marriages or anything else, but they have this full devotion. Well, rather than standing aloof and, and condemning somebody like that, I, I've been helped by him. 
Um, he says at some point blame has to end and sympathy has to kick in. And uh, so he would be an interesting person for me to bring because my, my interest in connection, yeah. connections with culture. Uh, so that's okay, your well, job, I, Luke. You, you try to get so I moved from Philadelphia to rural Southeast Ohio when I was in junior high. Mm-hmm. And so I lived probably an hour away from <clears throat> this. Middleton? Is yeah, I think that's about right. Middleton? And so I, I was an hour away. Yeah. And so I have on Facebook a whole group of my Ohio friends who are – like that group of people who grew up like just, yeah. they probably live near where he, he used to live. And then I have a lot of my current friends. And so I see that like completely different news feed when it's someone from that part of my life and the current part of my life. And, yeah. Okay. Storm has been on me trying to, Hey, you need to get this guy. You can't even get yeah. it. No. And so he just always talks down to me. He's trying to like belittle me <laughs> because that's what he is. Yeah. He, he, he belittle. Yeah. Time to get it. No. Yeah, he would. We'll put okay. him in his place. We'll okay. So, uh, we don't have JD Vance at the Pepperon lectures, but, uh, uh, we don't this year, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited that the opening afternoon, uh, Hope Network's coming. They're going to try to minister to ministers mm-hmm. who are uh, needing encouragement, some of them with challenges. And uh, so in, in some sense, it's older ministers available for those who are stu- still in the thick of it. And, and I'll be doing uh, the same. So we're launching I'll be doing that for people as well if they meet me at Zuma Beach. I will... Oh, I will be, be there to be, minister minister to them by showing them where the ocean is, because that is another... F- Good. Somebody needs to do that. It's about the time the whales are migrating. I'm here to so help. You can, you can help with that. You know, we added some things a while back that makes it fun. We've got uh, photojournalism, hiking excursion that people take. They go down to the ocean. Um, we have a biologist shows them some things to take pictures of. We take, we've got journeys to the Getty Museum, uh, New Testament professors, and history professors walking them through the Getty Museum, the life and times, the first century, some of the stuff that's there. So we've got a lot of options there, but part of it is great theological feast on the mountains that butt up against the Pacific Ocean. It's Malibu. Again, you've got Bob Goff coming to start the very thing off. Isn't he like first day? Yeah, Bob Goff is giving the Wednesday morning okay. uh, plenary now, speech. Looking there's forward to that. a high bar for that Wednesday morning session from last year. That there is. A, it follows you, so I had to do that again this year. He, and you followed N.T. Wright. He's following a lecture on the song yeah, well, songs. Last year, one of the big uh, uh, tweets that went around was uh, during the Pepperdine Bible. Do <laughs> you remember this? Bono was spotted down mm-hmm. in one of the... The, the cafes, and so there was this mad yes. rush down to uh, the little village of Malibu for mm-hmm. people trying to spot. Okay, Bono. so Bono recently learned the Enneagram. Um, I'm, uh-huh. I feel like I'm allowed to say for more. I feel like he said that once on the podcast. Um, so that's my transition to the Enneagram. Suzanne's going to be talking about it. Do you know what your Enneagram number is, Mike? I, I don't. Assumptions. But I can't. Uh, I can't what, tell what you because then it's going to cloud how you. Whenever you learn yours. Okay. But, no. I, I, I don't know I yet. Could, I, four or five. That's kind of my guess. But don't. Where, where, do, you, where do you normally put a crazy four, uncle? Four. Uh, Ian Cron, Wait, he's right? a crazy uncle. He's a four. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I think that's where you are. But uh, you're a good, a good crazy uncle, and we're excited to have a good crazy uncle on. Are you really going to yeah. write the book, The Thanks, ABCs of the Bible? If so. Uh, the ABCs of my spiritual journey. Are you um, working on it? I'd like have you started to. writing anything yet? Huh? No, I haven't. It, it's all there okay. in my mind. Uh, okay. Right. Well, if you want, write it. We'll have you on the podcast to talk about it. Uh, Mike. Yeah. All right. Don't forget the okay, wrap you, up. We'll, we'll make a wrap up happen too. But you'll have to yeah, listen. We'll do it. And, and, and I'll listen. I will. I'll listen to four or five. Okay. Well, we've got Brugman coming up in a couple of weeks. So you'd actually have to listen to that one regardless. All right. Yeah, man. That's Thanks, good. Mike.
Yeah, good to talk to you, Luke. Have a good day. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.